Hello and welcome to Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me I have Naomi Wright, the founder of Naomi Wright Ministries at naomiwrightministries.com. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, how are you? I am doing pretty well, John. This uh, topic that we're about to head into, I thought it might be nice. I mean, I know we have a description and title for listeners, but I went ahead this morning knowing that this is this is a heavy and hard one, and I am sitting here going to record this conversation with a nice warm cup of tea. I have slippers on <laughs> since you can't see me, and I want to put that out there to anyone who's listening. If this topic sounds like it's going to hit, hit home in some way, you might want to press pause, do this at a time where you've got the space for it, get yourself something warm to drink, get comfortable, and give yourself some space. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we jump in. And I'll jump in for the men. I'm a very emotional male human. And I will say that there were multiple times while I was going through these questions that I had to step back and take a break. This is probably my hardest topic in the support groups that I've had to deal with. And the pain that people experience for this topic is incredibly difficult. It's even difficult for me as I go through and try to find ways to help because in some ways these are these are topics that are very difficult and almost can't there there are there are no good solutions in some cases so you have to help people cope with the the pain that they will face and help them to overcome the pain and find healing and that as you know Naomi is extremely difficult yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought brought out there right away that there's not always going to be a good answer. And when I was reading through some of these questions and um, giving them some time to think about them, yeah, these ones aren't going to be wrapped up with a pretty bow. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump into them though. All right. So the first question, our family attends a church that is abusive. I'm starting to realize that it is a cult, but I'm afraid to leave. My husband is deeply involved, an elder in the church, and I know he will be angry at me if I stop attending. What do I do? This one can get pretty nuanced. Um, really, there are so many factors in all of these questions that can vary a bit depending on the exact person and the group and the dynamic of the relationship to begin with. But going based on what we know of these groups, um, I would point out first that number one, before I say anything else, here's a disclaimer. If you're in an abusive situation, then get out. If you're being abused, get out. That's what I would say all of, 100% of the time. If it's abusive, get out. Um, if, if it's not, then, and we could talk a little bit more about what that means. If you don't feel like you're in a significant <clears throat> physical or emotional or, or, you know, harm in that way. Um, and you're like, no, I feel pretty safe. This just is a, this is unsafe because it's a cult, but I'm physically safe. Um, I'm not being screamed at every day. It's, it's emotionally okay. You know, you kind of gauge what that means, but just as it took you time to begin to realize that it was a cult, it's also likely going to take that other person time. So 
is there an approach other than stopping cold turkey? Like I'm talking with someone right now who is still attending the church service and having conversations with her family about what's going on. And that's working for her. Again, she's not in an abusive situation. It's safe for her to do that. And so that's what she's choosing to do. Um, So is there room to begin a conversation, starting to ask questions and get that conversation going while you're also continuing to strengthen your knowledge and begin initiating those conversations with your spouse? But my, again, my caution here always is, These groups by design have abusive aspects to them. And that would be my fear for you of hanging around for too long is what harm is it doing to you and to your family? Right. For me, again, like you mentioned, there are multiple facets to this question. And I think the abuse is the biggest concern. And I fully agree if, if the situation becomes abusive, you need to get out, you need to get to safety. One of the things that I find helpful for people who are experiencing this type of thing is to break up the different levels of fear that can come with the situation. This is almost like dealing with an incredibly messy house where every room in the house is is a mess and you have to find ways to compartmentalize and conquer each individual room. So if you consider the rooms of the house as fear of what's going to happen in your family, you have to approach each room individually, break it down into a way that you can understand and overcome the fears. A person who's dealing with this is having the fear of leaving the church, the fear that the husband might leave them, the spiritual fear. A lot of these churches have a a unhealthy level of of um, superiority in the male half of the relationship, and this is a female. So there's fear in, am I, uh, is the person betraying God by going against the husband's wishes? So each one of these fears, if you break it down into a house, uh, into the house metaphor, you have to break each each fear into its own room and then conquer each room. One of the best ways to do that is to understand the fear, understand what it is. And one of the um, one of the fears that can be conquered easily is the situation where the one spouse has a different belief set than the other. In cult environments, a lot of a lot of people have this fear that you know the two parts of the of the husband and wife combination have to have the same belief set. But when you leave the cult environment, there are numerous people who have a Baptist husband and a Methodist wife. Um, I've, I actually went to church with a Baptist who had a Catholic wife and they still got along. They still, you know, participated in each other's, um, worship, although they didn't fully agree. And that's one fear that you can take and isolate. So you attack, you attack each fear individually, try to understand more about it, and then it, it doesn't eliminate the fear, but it decreases the level of fear that you have, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that is excellent advice to share with someone. Um, when I look at this specific question, I have so many follow-up questions that I would want to ask before before I would say anything more specific, like 
I know he will be angry at me. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does his anger look like? You know, that's a a big question that I would have. And as far as what this person would do, what do you want? Like, what is the hope out of this? What is the goal? Is this a really bad relationship and situation? And you think it's in, in your best interest and the safety of your family for you to have to make a stronger, cleaner exit? Are you hoping to still reconcile the relationship and move forward, knowing that he may remain an elder in that church? So something I always ask um, clients when I work with them is, what are you wanting in this? What's your best case scenario? And then let's talk about the, the best steps in hopes of that happening. Right. And anger is a very interesting emotion because anger goes both ways. The fear here is that the husband will be angry if they stop attending. But on the flip side, bottling up emotion, especially for long periods of time, will make a person angry. So there's a chance that the bottled up emotion could explode. And at least from my own experience, whenever you bottle up emotion for long periods of time and you let it explode, it might actually be more angry than what the husband would be towards you. So you have to be careful that it doesn't, that your own emotion doesn't turn into anger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever we don't at least kind of, you think of the tea kettle scenario or like a pressure cooker where if you don't let some of that steam out, it's just going to finally yeah erupt. Um, and everyone gets burned when that happens. Right. All right, next question. My wife was born and raised in a cult, and I joined her church after we got married, not knowing anything about it. I left the group, and now she is threatening to take the kids and leave me. I still love her, fear for her salvation, and I want to help her. How can I make her understand that she is in a cult? Whew, this is, again, all these questions are going to be so big. And I, John, like you've talked with people with this scenario, I've had friends with people too, you know, in this scenario. And gosh, it's, it's a really, really awful position to find yourself in. And I want to acknowledge that first there's, there's, this isn't easy. This isn't an easy cookie cutter answer. There's always a personalized aspect with that person in mind. And yet I would say there are some really great resources out there. And so we can recommend um, reading up on things, uh, seeking an ongoing relationship with a support professional who can walk alongside this with you and help support you and, and guide you along the way. I would, we've brought up Steve Hassan several times with his book, Combating Cult Mind Control. If that's something that your spouse would be willing to read, um, we'd highly recommend, I'm sure John, you would agree for, for this person to read it. Um, And there are strategies, for example, that Steve has used himself in his work and has some of that in the book um, with proven approaches that have been successful in helping to open people's eyes to what's going on. Um, She has been raised in it. And I think that's a really important piece to point out here. So right now she really can't see anything else. So, but people like John and myself, we, we were raised in it and we still exited into freedom. So there is hope, but I think for someone who came into it as an adult and then is like, what the heck's going on here? It's really important to try to find that place of empathy that this, your wife, this is all she's been, she has been groomed for all of this since day one. 
And so to have a sensitivity and understanding and an extra degree of patience for her in that process, if the blindfold just ripped off of her all of a sudden one day, she might have a complete psychological meltdown because her whole worldview just just got she just got told everything was wrong and it's like you wake up and you're in some twilight zone what do I do like what's real anymore so wanting to understand that experience um, that she's likely going to go through if you do help her to understand it so again taking it slowly um, showing love and care for her in this process as much as possible Um, and ultimately and this part sucks you guys it does it sucks because we know people are in things and it's harming them and it's painful ultimately each person does end up making a choice to stay or not to stay some choose that it's not worth the losses that they're going to take I've heard that so even though they're like yeah I see red flags and stuff like it's not worth me losing my family and my community and my whatever and so they make a choice not to not to exit Some go into a trauma response and it's like their brains cannot compute the information. They just shut down. And so as awful as this sounds, we try and we do our best. And we're, we, I say, always keep the door open. Anyone who has shut me down or who has excommunicated me, I make sure that they know my door is always open. If they ever want to reach back out, I, I'm available. I'm there. I'm not shutting them out. I think that's important to keep it open. Um, but ultimately, we don't make that decision for the other person. Right. Yeah, the book you mentioned... Combating Cult Mind Control by Dr. Stephen Hassan is one I also recommend. Um, this is one of those things that you can't really take lightly. You have to address this. If there is a threat to leave, the cult indoctrination is is playing a heavy factor in this. And whenever this happens, the, the mindset of the cult member is to become defensive And their guards of defense come up. But more than just that, this is a mother with children. And the cult indoctrination is going to place a barrier of fear that if you leave, the kids might leave with you. And if the kids leave with you, then they won't be saved. And so the threat is literally that you might kill the kids in in the cult programmed mind. So, and I've seen this time and again from experience from people who are now former members, the spouse will try to turn the kids against the person who's leaving. So I I quickly raise that warning flag. Don't forget the kids. You need to pay pay close attention to them. Remember that they are kids. They don't understand any of this thing that's going on. And you have to gently try to maintain a relationship with the children while you try to repair the relationship with the wife. And it's extremely difficult. It really is. I strongly recommend marriage counseling because marriage counseling not only addresses the issues that, you know, a person is threatening to leave you that that falls into the category of marriage counseling, but where it helps is the counselor will immediately recognize that it's a cult. And for you, the exiting member of a cult, it's going to help the situation because they can start working with the cult member and for the cult member there shouldn't be any fear of going if they don't think it's a cult 
because if they don't think it's a cult, the marriage counselor will also recognize that it's not a cult. There's a there's another marital problem here. So equally, it's beneficial for you and for them, and it could result in you know it could result in the spouse's deprogramming. So be gentle but firm, but have a plan of action that you can engage very quickly so that your children aren't at risk. Yeah. And when I think about that mama bear thing is real, (laughs) I've had it come up in me with my three-year-old. I'm like, man, I was ready to throw down with a couple of seven-year-olds a couple of months ago. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) wait, hold on. They're kids too. There's something about, yeah, like protecting your babies. And I'm not saying fathers don't have that. I'm speaking from the woman perspective because this is a a female in this scenario. Um, But yeah, there's this fight of I've got to protect my kids. So absolutely continuing to be aware of that and being sensitive to that, knowing that you want an ongoing relationship with your children, wherever it lands with your spouse. I'm, I would assume that that would be the desire. Right. And know that if things don't work out, if they do take the children, I have seen couples who separate for a period of time and then get back together. It doesn't mm-hmm. always happen, but I have seen it. So you also have to address the fear that you have internally just for the unknown. The fear of the unknown is probably the greatest fear. Um, it's, you know, it's not as difficult as your wife leaving you, but it is a tremendous fear. And as long as you create a plan of action for each scenario, the plan of action for before the separation, engage marriage counseling, have a plan of action. What are you going to do if you do separate? How are you going to engage with your children? How are you going to engage with your spouse if, if the separation happens? Not that you would go to that level, not that the situation would go to that level, but if you have the plan of action, it helps alleviate some of the fears. So next question. My spouse and I were raised in a cult, fell in love, and married. I recently started looking into some critical information and no longer believe in what the church stands for. It is worship of a man, not God, and I am a Christian. I quit going to church to follow Christ. And I quit going to the cult church to follow Christ. I'm still in love, but the Bible says do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I want to stay with them. Is that wrong? This question has a a much nicer answer to it. (laughs) I'm glad that we have this one, John. I think it just lifts us up halfway through the episode. (laughs) No, it's not wrong. And I love that I get to give you that answer and that I get to actually use scripture to back it. So in 2 Corinthians 6.14 is is the verse that you're referring to with do not be yoked with unbelievers. So it says... Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So that would be referencing um, the person who's following Christ being righteous and light and the person who's not being lawlessness and darkness. So in this passage, the Bible isn't specifically talking about marriage to begin with. Um, it's talking about friendships, any kind of uh, deep relationship. It's saying not to be yoked. So this isn't a marriage specific comment. Um, and since believers are called to engage with unbelievers as Jesus himself did, um, the, the message here is not to be again in a relationship to the degree 
to which you would compromise your Christian values. So I wanted to add that too, because I don't want you to think, oh, I shouldn't have friends who are unbelievers. You can. It's just, um, there's this study out there. I mean, last I heard it was a few years ago, assuming it's not outdated now, but it talks about how, you know, your five closest people to you are a really good indicator of where you're at in life and, and where you're going. And so if your five best friends are very different in belief than you, it could, it could encourage you maybe to not adhere to the values that you're saying you hold if they have very different values. And so that's the caution that's being given here. Um, so to provide a really simple example, if you don't want your child around that other child because that other child seems to be a bad influence and every time your child's around her, she comes back and she's mouthy and she's whatever. And so you're like, I don't want my child around that child right now. She's not at a place to be around her and not be affected by it. So that sort of idea. Of course, this passage would still apply to marriage because it's, it's a relationship and it's a very close, intimate one. Um, but not after you're married. So we know this is different because there's a different passage that speaks to it. I'm going to get to that in a second. But if you're not already married, getting married to someone of a different faith system would be discouraged. It's not sin. It just is going to create potential additional struggles in your relationship, especially if you choose to have children and you're raising them. So it's considered... Um, uh, just a much harder way to go. So it's it's highly uh, recommended that you don't do that because of these presumed difficulties that you would have later on. Um, after you're married, though, the Bible actually says to remain together if the spouse is willing to do so. Um, so again, same disclaimer, everyone. This does not apply to an abusive situation. So for those of you who have made the difficult and painful decision to sever the relationship, this statement is not applying guilt to you. I want to make sure that you hear that. If you're someone who got out and you left your spouse behind and that is what you needed to do, this does not mean that you're holding guilt for this. Um, so I want to say that before I move forward. But in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16, it says, to the rest, I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he, sh he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Um, and I'm going to skip a little bit, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace for how do you know wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband, whether you will save your life, your wife. So the last line really explains the previous lines. Um, if the unbeliever, so let's say I'm going to switch this out. If the cult member is willing to stay with the Christ follower in this scenario that we're responding to, then the Christ follower should stay in hopes of the cult believer seeing Christ and choosing to also exit the cult and follow. But if the cult follower says, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this. I don't want anything to do with you. You're not a part of this group anymore. You're not part of the, the, the true Israel or whatever um, your group may go by. Then Paul states that if that happens, then the Christian should live in peace and not fight to maintain that relationship, but rather be like, okay, I'm, I'm free to go and I'm going to go. So 
what is so beautiful in this passage is that it's saying you you do have choice here. You don't have to feel stuck in something that's bad and that you should get out of. And you also don't have to get out of something if you're saying, I still love my spouse. We're making this work. We have a difference in beliefs, but this is working for us. I want to be together. You do not have to leave by any means. So no, there is flexibility here. All right. For me, this question is all about the cult mindset. The cult indoctrination in any cult is very black or white. There's no room for grays. And a lot of the doctrines are based off of very misused applications of scripture. And this one in particular, the the Bible, there's a my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Jesus says the entire law and the prophets is summed up in these two things, love your neighbor as yourself and love God. And he's literally saying that the entire Old Testament is summed up with those two things. It's a it's about love. It's not about separation, isolation. Cults isolate and divide. Christianity is incompatible because it brings people together in love. So I see the two as very very different things. And if you if you think about those terms, if you think about the way in which they're being divided by the cult indoctrination, Think back to the passages that are used to back up this scripture about being yoked with unbelievers. They're all, usually, at least in the experience that I've had, they're all passages about Israel being separated from idolatry, from worship that had human sacrifice. It was a very horrific thing that they were asked to be separate from. The verses in the New Testament, so it was past you know, the Old Testament with Israel, but the new Christians, the new early Christians, were among those same types of belief systems. And so the passages that are used by these types of religious groups are pulled so far out of context that they're not even in the same centuries together. They're different, entirely different groups of people. So for me, being with the spouse that you love is not wrong. It's, it's you know, as Naomi said, it's supported by scriptures. And also keep in mind, I, w- I was raised in a cult. I was born and raised in a cult. I had never actually heard the gospel in the cult in its true form. I had heard things that were called the gospel, but not anything that even resembled what's in the Bible. It wasn't until after I left that I first heard the gospel. So if you're in this type of relationship and you get out and you start to understand true Christianity... There's also the chance that you can witness to your spouse who is in the cult, who, according to this, the way this question is phrased, would be the unbeliever. But there's also the, there's also the caveat about unbeliever. I don't personally view all cult members as unbelievers, and I, I differ with some of my peers in this. I look at it like the, these people are in a very foggy room, and... They're, they're in the same room. They're wanting to go to the same direction to see the same person, Christ. And you're in the room, and you can see. You've got glasses, and you can see, see everything. But they're trying to get to the same place, and they're being told things that aren't true that are keeping them from being able to see. I have a, I have a grandfather who is one of the most humble, sweet men that I know, who 
loves Jesus Christ. He loves reading the Bible, loves everything about Christ, but he's in a cult, and the cult is telling him things that aren't true about Christ. So his view of Christ, his view of the Godhead, is a view of Christianity in general is very obscured, but he wants to follow Christ, and if encountering the, the real gospel at some point in his life, who knows, maybe he will convert into be, becoming what is considered to be Christian. Yeah, and I think that's a really excellent point. And I think it can be a struggle if we're trying to answer questions based on, gosh, I mean, what, 40,000 cults in the United States alone or something like that, because it can be so different. I mean, there's so many commonalities, but whether you someone would be considered Christian or not, um, that that can really depend on the group that we're talking to. I mean, if I'm thinking about my extended family right now, um, they're really following, they're following a man. Um, Christ isn't really on the radar would be the truth of it. And so if, if I, someone in my group were asking this question right now, um, yeah, the answer would be different than someone right. like you're saying, because absolutely people can say, I'm striving for Christ. That's what I'm seeking. But yeah, I've got all this other extra doctrine that's in reality is causing problems and, and getting in the way. But the goal is there. Um, the desire is there. What they think they're doing um, is there. So I think what what is so important, again, in this question is that someone is saying, I want to stay if you want to stay because you love someone, then stay because you love someone, you know? Right. And there may be scenarios where I would say, if this was a woman saying this and she's getting beaten on a regular basis, no, I don't think you should stay even though you love the person. I think you should get out and and get out. <laughs> you should get right. out. You're getting hurt. <laughs> right. um, you should get out. And sometimes people can have this, this mindset from their upbringing because they've been treated so poorly for so long. Their self-worth is so in the gutter that they just think that's what they deserve or they think that's what love looks like. And so they want to stay. And I'd say, no, please don't. Let's talk about that. Call me. Um, and right. that does happen sometimes in these groups, especially to women um, in a very patriarchal group or, you know, women are considered hogs still, depending on which church mm. you're attending, you know, that maybe varies a bit, but there are some, I know mine, it was pretty, pretty strongly that way. Right. So, so yeah, if you want to stay and you're not, you're not in an abusive situation like that, there's a healthy love there between the two people, then absolutely by all means do that. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned the contrast between your sect and the one that I grew up in. It's, this is something I've actually wanted to bring up on the show earlier, but haven't yet had a good chance to inject this. Um, I, as I have mentioned a few times, I grew up in cult churches all across the nation from Arizona to South Carolina. So I got to witness different versions of the same cult that I grew up in. And as you mentioned, there are thousands of cults in the United States, even more in the world. And the way that cults develop is almost like a cookie-cutter example of a clone of each other. Central figure with the framework of enforcers and then drones, uh, member drones who are the rank-and-file members. Well, what happens over time, these splinter into different sects of the cult that 
you know, that formed. And each sect has its own level of progression and direction of progression. The, the cult that I grew up in and in the different sects that I grew up in went so far in different directions that some became even worse than the original. And more, like you said, they were followers of a man completely to the extent that the man was the supreme authority, the deity. In many cases, their only pathway to salvation was through the man. While some other versions of the sect or some other sects in the cult had no idea that any of this even existed. Um, I'm working with a few pastors who ha had came from a different sect, and they preached from the Bible, they read the Bible, they knew the Bible. They still had culture indoctrination, and they had a lot of things that were vastly wrong, but had no idea of some of the underlying problems in the critical information. So they left, and they became Christian, and they're they're correcting their theology. So that's why I, I place the caveat. It's not all cults are the same. You, you might be in one that's not so dangerous, but there's all, always a level of danger there because eventually these, these types of groups change eventually. They're not based and founded on the same principles as normal Christian churches. I want to throw in there because... I some people might find this interesting. My specific group that I came out of, my dad had been raised, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Presbyterian or something like that. My grandfather was a pastor and he was an, a highly abusive man. Um, but theologically, in within his you know form of his denomination of christianity he was sound i mean so he was it wasn't a cult he's just a he's just a jackass you can bleep that out if you have to um but it's just that's what he was so um but theologically i mean yeah he was he was he was grounded in that denomination and so there weren't cult problems he just was a bad person um, and so my dad had left at a young age to get out of there, get out of the abuse and ended up marrying a woman. I don't know if at the time she had, I don't know if she had been raised in a Brenham church or not, but ultimately that's what they were a part of. At least they're in a Brenham church. And then my dad through his own studying, then came up with his own revelation based on Brenham's teachings. He then came up with his own, like he was the, the now the newest prophet on the scene who had the newest interpretation and at that time anyway, he started going around, traveling around and going to Brenham churches and trying to share with them this new revelation and he got kicked out of them all. Hmm. So they actually, the Brenham call actually said, get out. Right. <laughs> Which is, I'm like, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty unfortunate. That's pretty bad. <laughs> um, so he got kicked out and then ended up starting his own um, and had his own falling from there. Even though he died back in 2007, um, there's a new leader who is now picked up after my dad um, and is seen as, as the authority and as the prophet who is really now going to walk them into the end times or whatever exactly they believe that's going to look like now. So it's really, um, it's amazing how these how these can evolve and how they can change. And so, yeah, I, I think it's great, John, to point out some of those differences too from where we even might come from in our responses. 
of what we've seen um, in, of course, in support groups, in mentoring clients on my end, as well as our own families and, and what we've lived ourselves. Because in my group, um, for sure, there wouldn't be the opportunity to stay because you just get kicked out. You couldn't right. stay and be an, un- like, that's not even an option on the table. So this question that is posed would not even apply. Right. It's, uh, it, it is interesting the, the different ways in which splinter, splinter groups develop. And ironically, most of them, not most, but a lot of them do form because some person got kicked out and then they believe that they have the only right pathway. So they, it, it's not an uncommon thing. And when people join and create a subsect, you can realize that the mindsets of so many people were aligned with that person's way of thinking that they too joined and became part of the subsect. That's how it grows and forms. But it forms like that because it's not based on Christianity. It's based on something else. So there's a different framework that's allowing this sort of thing to grow. It's uh, the, the Bible says you can know the fruit by, the, by its branches, and that's what this type of religion creates. Yeah, and it's just there's something funny about it to me, and, and not funny in how it affects people, but just... It seems so ridiculous that just it's just cults kicking out cults who start other cults and it's like think of like the little Russian dolls where you open it up and there's another one and there's another one and there's right. another, and it's like oh my goodness it's never going to end. It it's a very difficult read so not everybody will enjoy this like I do but I'm fascinated with ancient religion ancient theologies ancient mythologies and if you read Irenaeus and Against Heresies and understand Gnosticism and how the early church formed, it is so similar to these cults because it was based off of Christianity, and some guy had some notion that he brought into Christianity and blend a pagan form of worship into Christianity, and that grew. Then people splintered from it, and it created different Gnostic groups. So it's If you just look at this through history, this thing is nothing new. This has been going on for millennia. And it's, you know, if it's based on something that is not true, it's going to produce false branches. So, John, I just want to throw out there, there's there's this saying that I think maybe the cults actually do, they do have right. They just forget that it applies to them as well. And that's when they say, you know, the world's nuts out there. It's like, yeah, it it is nuts (laughs) out there. It's just... Y'all are nuts too, and you're forgetting to right. put yourself in with that. But I think I think they might have that going for them. <laughs> yeah, the, the cult that uh, the cult I came out of, the cult leader William Branham, there was an entire sermon called "The Oddball," and where he was saying that the nuts are the ones that have it right. <laughs> and it, it's, so he it's owned really it. <laughs> exactly, it's unbelievable if you think about it. It's oh, uh, gosh. it's just so weird that that these things can grow. Next question. I recently left a cult. It was the most difficult thing that I've ever been through. The church and the people were all that I had known for all of my life. My husband did not leave with me, and we ended up separating. Now I find it even harder. Women in the cult were not prepared for so many things. Education was forbidden for women. Women were not supposed to work. Only the men were trained to provide. Now I must quickly learn to provide for myself to survive. Please help. This is such huge leverage 
that I believe has a big intentional factor, depending on the group, for women to feel stuck and like they have no choice and they have to stay. And this is similar to in mainstream culture, a woman who is in an abusive household and there's domestic violence and she feels like, well, I'm, I'm home and I take care of the house and if I leave, where do I go and how do I provide for myself? What do I do? And so I see a similarity there um, that's created where these women are so dependent upon the male or so they think. And that's what I want to push back on because women, you have so much strength in you that I don't think you're seeing and you're giving yourself credit for. Any woman who has survived being in a cult relationship has had to endure a lot. And if we're talking about Brenham groups where women are really pushed down and they're seen so much less than, they're seen as less than, they're so inferior you've put up with a lot, you've endured a lot, you're, and you've come through it, you're still here and you're still standing, you have it in you. I would want to empower you in that. You can do this. And no, you don't have to do it on your own. So there are options in various places in the U.S. for sure that can provide some initial services, including housing. And a good way to actually find out about what's in your area is to call is to do dial 211 and that will give you you can talk with someone and get services of is there a place I can go can I get access to food like this is what I need and so that can get you get you started if you just need to get out. Um, I'm still researching some specific options throughout the U.S. um, that we would put our stamp on and say, yeah, like they're doing good work and and they're safe and healthy. Um, It can be tough depending on where you are in the country, of course, to get somewhere that that's going to make sense. So I love that 211 option because it's going to help give you ideas right where you're located. And then I would say start with what you know. So you know how to cook, apply to a restaurant fast food, waitressing, whatever it is to get your feet under you. You you know how to watch kids and take care of children. Well, look for a job in childcare. You could nanny, you could care for elderly. That usually um, also would apply. You can look for a caretaker position just on care.com. You can sign up on there. It's free and you can look for positions. Um, you could also, if you're leaving and you're taking your own young children with you, something I've seen people do, um, single moms, for example, is they'll get a job at a child a daycare where their child then gets to go for free and that helps them. And here's why I say this. Yes, of course, it provides some initial income to provide for yourself. Um, but also there's something about going and getting a job in an area where you really know it you know that work inside and out, you're competent, you're confident in yourself versus trying to go and do something brand new right away. There's going to be a lot happening mentally and emotionally in this initial step towards healing and getting your feet under you in other ways. And you only have so much energy in a day and learning a new job and being in a new environment that all takes energy. And you have a lot going on internally that needs time and that needs tending to. And so I would say, go get something that doesn't take a whole lot out of you for your job, your initial work, like fast food, something like that, where you're like, okay, like I I can get my feet under me and then allow yourself that time and space um, emotionally. Because I've talked to some women about this. It's so overwhelming initially. 
Um, and we need, we need to honor that and respect that as you move past that phase, the world really starts to open up and there's opportunity to go back and get a GED if you didn't finish high school and go on to college if you want, or start your own thing if you want, or whatever that may look like. The world's so much more open to you outside of the cult than it was in the cult. And that's something where there's so much hope for the future and there's so much beauty in getting to figure out what does that look like for me? But at first it's terrifying, it's overwhelming, you have immediate needs. Um, For anyone who happens to be listening to this right now and they're questioning, is it a good time for me to leave? I need to get out. What do I do? What do I do to provide for myself? Um, People who are listening to this, I mean, look at the date this episode comes out. You know, if you're listening two years later, it might not apply in the same way. But right now, there is a huge shortage of workers related to COVID and vaccinations and all of that stuff that's going on. So if you wouldn't have gotten hired before, you really might get hired now. And so there's things going on in our world right now and in our economy that might be giving you an open door for now to be a really good time because they have way more jobs right now than they actually have people applying for them, especially when you're looking at entry-level positions, which might be where you feel most comfortable for your first step. Um, there's a there's a lot of positions available for you. Um, so yeah, it might be time to take that leap. I mean, this is for you to decide and 100%, I mean, you could reach out, reach out to NWM, which stands for Naomi Wright Ministries, and I would love to brainstorm that with you. Right. There are two word, two phrases that I use to describe people who leave a cult. For people in general, I say they're cult escapees. But for women specifically in this situation, the phrase I use is cult survivors because they are survivors. This is extremely difficult. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it in any way. People who are in this situation, they have to survive, and it's either survive or don't survive. That's really what it comes down to. <clears throat> and the, the women who have been through this and overcame, they will tell you they're survivors and they're hardcore. <laughs> they are um, they're very strong-willed, and they will let you know, and they will speak their mind, and they're fun to engage because they're all a different category than everybody else. Um, one of the... One of the things in my life that is applicable, I had a person who I really respected growing up who told me, don't be too big to bag groceries. And that sounds funny in this type of scenario, and I'm not disrespecting people who do bag groceries in any way, but whenever I was young, I was very curious. I wanted to know how things work, and I taught myself how to do plumbing, how to do electrical, I was a VCR repairman for the local neighborhood. Uh, the, my friends' moms would call me over to fix their their stove, their VCRs, their electronics. Uh, I taught myself computers. I knew auto mechanics. I knew how to do so many things. And not because I was a man or because the cult had me in a different ranking than the women. I was just curious, and I learned how to do it. My father taught me some, but for the most part, I just wanted to know how things work, and I knew how to do a lot of things. But the problem was, I was under 15, so it's not like I could easily go get a job as a plumber or as an electrician or a VCR repairman. There's no way that I could get a job. 
And this man told me, don't be too big to buy to bag groceries. And what he was saying is, even though you're in this different category than everybody else, you can start somewhere, start small, and that will work into something bigger. It gives you a starting place. Women who leave the cult usually have, at least the cult that I came out of, the women, for the most part, didn't work. Their husbands provided. They lived really good lives. Their husbands, you know, took care of them as best as possible. They never really needed to work. And they, you know, they also, like me, may know how to do a lot of things because women are curious too, and women can learn things just like I did. But don't let yourself get in that category where you think you're too good to go back groceries. Start there if you have to. Rebuild. And, you know, there's so many options. There's fast food. There's, um, like you said, the cooking. There's so many things that you can do. And you're never too old to start college. I know 60-year-old men who started college, vocational school, if not college. Um, get a roommate. If you're, ha if you're struggling to keep food on the table and, get, and keep the bills paid, find somebody who you can live with, even if temporary, just to rebuild, to survive and start over. You, sometimes you have to build new family, new friends, but it's, that's part of starting over. And once you establish yourself, some of these may be long-term friends, some of these may be temporary friends, maybe a long-term company that you worked for bagging groceries, or it may be a temporary thing, but it's a starting point. It's a place to begin. It's really interesting, John, to reflect on as a female, how I went from, oh goodness, being afraid to speak. I mean, I kind of jokingly say I didn't talk until I was 16. It's not really that big of a joke. Um, I mean, my household was so terrifying. I pretty much didn't speak. Um, I learned how to be as small and as quiet as I could possibly be. I literally read a book a day when I was eight, right. nine, ten years old. And I somehow went from that to where I'm at now. And in so many ways, I'm like, well, where I'm at now, is that is that impressive? Is that I'm not sure. But so I'm not saying, <laughs> but internally who I am, where I went in that way. Like I went from I'm afraid to to even answer a question to, you know, I had to get scrappy. Mm-hmm. And and I think scrappy is a good word because that's not nasty. That's <laughs> not, you know, it's like, but you have, you know, I had to find the my willpower and I had to really tap into my desire and my conviction of this is what I want and I'm going to go after it. And no, it's not going to be handed to me and doors might open here and there or whatever. And, but I don't count on that. So even in starting NWM, it's like, okay, I got one master's degree licensed. I've got, I'm, you know, five, six of a second master's degree. I could go get a job and make really good money, but I didn't want that. I wanted to start this. And so I'm delivering, you know, I'm like, okay, I can deliver for Postmates right. while my kid's at school. And I can, I can do that and I can still, you know, stay up to date on podcasts while I'm doing that. So that's great because my mind's available. It's brainless really to do that unless, unless you get lost. You got to tune in a little bit. But um, <laughs> so, and it doesn't bother me. And that's, that's a really neat part of it. If it's, it's not, oh, well, I could be doing that or I should be doing that or it's no, this is what I want and that's what I see. And so this right. is what I'm going to go do. And so ladies out there, 
the there is an importance change. Now, I am not saying that you were not victimized. You were, I'll be the first to say that you were victimized. But it's really important to switch how you're going to see yourself moving forward. Because if you stay in an I'm a victim mentality, you'll continue to live that out by accident. And you do have the strength and the ability and there are resources out there to get you information that you need so that you can turn yourself into a thriving survivor. And we want that for you and we've seen it happen and it's absolutely possible. But I want to point that out. If you have that in yourself of this goodness, like I just can't or I just, you got to really want it and focus on that and take that first step towards it. And yeah, get a little bit scrappy about it. Like if (laughs) now, I mean, I started when I was thinking about this question earlier, John, I almost, I almost thought like, oh, you know, I kind of want to say if you walk into a job for the first time and you're like, I have no resume, they're probably not going to hire me. Tell them what you just came out of. And there's a really good chance they're going to give you a job because they're going to be like, oh my gosh. At the same time, it might be too traumatic emotionally to share much of that. But think about you know, maybe, maybe I need to share a little bit to make sense of it. Maybe I need to say, I just came and you, maybe you just say, I came out of an abusive household and I'm trying to get my feet under me and I know I can do this job. Give me a week. Right. But that kind of attitude. Absolutely. I know you're, I know you're taking that word a completely different direction, but when you say scrappy, I think of scrappy on the Scooby-Doo show (laughs) and it's actually applicable because he's, he's the energetic bundle of fire that you can't stop. Right. Mm -hmm. He's the one that's, he's the one that's going to survive if there's a survival situation and he's the one who's actually pulling the crew along, even though, you know, he's the side, he's the sideshow. Mm-hmm. But that's how it is for women. They, women, when they escape this, they become survivors and they become scrappy. They have to, to survive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I was told women don't go to college. There's no reason for that. We, you know, right. and it's like, okay, then I'm going to figure out FAFSA and I'm going to do what I need to do to go. And I'm going to work a couple of, I was ch- cleaning houses. I was, you know, I'm taking 18 credit hours at college and I'm, I'm working two jobs and right. You, you do it if you really want it. And depending on where you're at emotionally, it may not be the healthiest thing to do to that extreme. I was in a different place at that time because I was in it, but getting scrappy. Um, so it right. played out a little bit differently in my timeline. Um, and that's why I want to end this question on don't take on too much where you're not taking the time you need internally to start to heal because that will catch up to you as well. And at some point you might collapse if you're not building that, that solid foundation for yourself. And I mean, inside yourself, your internal foundation. Um, so that, that takes some time. So again, yeah, go bag groceries, something that's not going to take a whole lot of you mentally and emotionally and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Right. All right. Next question. A few years ago, I left a religious cult. My wife and our children did not. As soon as they learned that I no longer believed, I was suddenly the enemy. As much as it hurt, I finally had to leave. I'm okay for the most part, but it still hurts, especially around the holidays. Will this hurting ever go away? I have experienced a lot of different kinds of losses in my life from parents, friends, community, just all kinds. And I've had some really bizarre scenarios, some very complicated forms of grief. 
I cannot imagine the loss of the relationship with my child. And no, I don't believe that that hurt will ever go away. And this is, this is a, a tough answer to a tough question, but I can't, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine losing the relationship with my son and having that hurt go away unless the relationship was restored and then, you know, I'm sure it would subside, but I'd still probably have pain over the years lost. And there may be seasons where the hurt lessens a bit, like you said, um, that Christmas is, or the holiday season is worse. And it may even vary from year to year. Maybe some holidays are worse than others. But I think the painful truth is that our close relationships, like a parent to a child, they're not, they're not replaceable. And even if we meet someone new or we had another child or something like that, it doesn't replace another child. It doesn't just replace a human being where there's that kind of connection. And the, the only suggestion I would have here in regards to uh, moving forward with the hope of reconciliation with the children, um, I want to speak to that a little bit. I know that didn't come out well, but I want to speak to... There could be hope even once the child or children are then 18 and they're out of the house. And this was something I was reflecting on of, I know through friends who have been adopted in different kinds of scenarios, um, parents where, you know, one parent was kind of cut out for another reason, not necessarily faith reason, but, you know, in a more secular reason of something going on. And it's really powerful when someone knows that the parent was trying and the parent wanted a relationship with them because it's very possible they've been told that the parent did not want a relationship, that the parent left and didn't want anything to do with them, which of course would be a blatant lie in this scenario. And so what what could be done so that in time, if you're able to reconnect with this child as an adult, you can say, I always sent a birthday card. I always sent a Christmas gift. Whether the child was given those things or not, you don't have any power and control over, but you do have the power to do it. And I think that could go a long way if you have the opportunity to talk to that child later. Um, Because you never ceased trying to be present and it shows your love for them. And I think that really gives an opportunity for reconciliation later on. So I'd recommend that you do what you can um, do what you need to do to know that you're doing your best. And again, hopefully um, at some point down the road, you see something coming from it. But no, I'm not going to sit here and telling you and tell you that that's going to go away. Right. I'm usually very direct and I usually am very blunt and to the point. And I'll be honest, this question, this is the one specifically that I had to walk away from and take a breather because this, I, I know the people, more than one person, but one in particular that it is just so hard what this person is going through. I, when I typed this out, I could see the person's face and I shed a few tears. Um, it's a difficult question and I am very blunt and to the point. It might never, there might never be reconciliation. The family might never take you back. And I have to say that, and it really hurts to say that, but that's the way that 
these destructive cults operate. And I am not a, I'm not very big in giving hope that may never come. I'm more about giving tools to help survive. And so I try to tell people <clears throat> in this situation, focus on the good times and the good things. And don't, don't try to forget the people that were in your life that you love so much, your family, your children. Remember them, but choose what to focus on. Don't focus on the painful memories when they left you. Focus on the good memories that you had with them. And keep those for, you know, for tools to help you cherish the love that you had with them. They may came, they may eventually turn back toward you. I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm saying focus on the things that can help you cope while you're dealing with it. But you also have to create new favorite memories. You had many favorite memories with them and they may never come back. You need to create new favorite memories that that won't replace the memories that you had, but they'll try to balance the scale. New people, new friends, new places sometimes help. I, I don't think the hurt will ever go away, but if you put enough good things onto the balance scale of the bad, eventually it's going to at least tip the scale towards the right direction. But you have to find what works for you. Some people cope better alone. Some people cope with other people based on your personality type. You might, you might do well to go spend some time with a, a friend. I don't know. I'm, I'm very much a loner. I cope better alone. So whenever I deal with the hurt that I have for the family that's abandoned me, I usually try to go find a place alone and just think, not think about the pain, but think about the memories I had with them and try to think about how my new life has new memories that are similar. And for me, that seems to work. For some people, it may not. Um, there's also a psychological effect. This question in particular mentions the holidays. A lot of people have seasonal affective disorder. And during, whenever they, most people say holidays, they usually refer to Thanksgiving and Christmas. These are times whenever there's less sunlight and people are less out in the sun. And that usually makes all of this seem worse. So there are, there are lamps that you can get to help. There are many different things that you can do. A vacation to the south or a vacation, you know, to a place that has a lot of sun might help. I don't know. It, it really depends on your personality. Is that something that helps? Is, is the, do you have seasonal affective disorder? But in the end, remember that the phrase was, I've suddenly the enemy. The enemy is very much a us versus them mentality. This is somebody who was bruised by the cult and they, they were made out to be an enemy because of the black or white us versus them mentality of a cult. So in thinking this through, it's very much dwelling on the pain of the separation. And my recommendation is don't dwell on the separation, dwell on the good memories that you had, and that seems to help. I think the way I would put it is that you can feel other feelings alongside the hurt. So it's not only hurt, 
that can be felt. There can be a hurting. There can also be laughter. And as odd as that can sound, those can go hand in hand. There can be this this persistent hurt or this hurt that comes in and out. And there can still be laughter. There can still be joy. Um, there can still be love and care for new people in our lives. And I, I just never... You just never know when you're talking about children. I mean, John, if you think about it, how old were you when you came out? 30s? I was about 36, I believe. Yeah. So if you think about that, your child could be 36 and make an exit. Right. And and wonder, okay, where the heck did, did my father go? What was What was the real deal there? And so I think... I would be really hesitant to write it off as it would never happen, but I, I would agree that I wouldn't focus on when and if it will happen. I would try to focus more on how do I build up community and relationships now? Where do I find happiness and laughter now alongside this? And also one final comment um, about holidays specifically, aside from specific grief groups and classes that pop up for the holidays, um, again, specifically for the holidays, even churches oftentimes will have what they call a blue Christmas service. And that is for people who are suffering from losses that holiday season, a time when people are showing, you know, showing off their joy. Um, And maybe you're feeling joy, but there's also a sense of sadness. Again, the two can go hand in hand, you can have them simultaneously. And, um, and so that can be a place where maybe you feel, some solidarity, you feel a, a sense of um, understanding without necessarily having to share your story or even talk to anyone if you don't want to. So there are things like that out there um, that could be a really good fit for you this season. Right. Yeah. The biggest thing is make a local support group if you don't have one, because when you leave a cult, you're going to need one. Um, there's There's no way to avoid all the pain, but if you have the right tools in place, then that's support groups, that's educating yourself on how to cope, learning yourself, learning how you cope, I think is a big help. And, you know, like you said, just find, find either a church or find some people that know how to help with people who are hurting in the holidays. Because in the end, you are the survivor. You're the one who escaped. And you're the one who need support after you escaped. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that was our last question and I'd love to wrap on my end by saying my hope for this episode is that anyone who's listening where it resonates, or even if they know someone who's going through something similar, you know, it brings some more light, some more awareness to what's going on and what people live through. And for those of you where maybe this was one of these questions was yours. If if the hope in our answers was limited as it was in some of these, because they're tough, I, my, my prayer is that, you know, you're not alone and we're there with you in it. We, we feel it. We feel the pain. We've seen it. We've experienced a lot of it and we're beside you in that. And I think there's power in knowing that there are other people who can stand beside you. Right. And I'll leave on a high note because this is one of, this is the hardest 
topic that I've had to deal with. But it's not always bad. I'm very clear that it could be, you know, it could be something that is long term. But I personally have had family members and friends who who were very hard against me whenever I first left the cult and were very outspoken against me and later came to realize that the group that they were in was very destructive and they made their escape and they too are now former members of the cult. And so, you know, it, there is hope. There is a chance that this could get better. I don't want to say that there's no hope, but this is something that you're going to have to deal with for the here and now, and hopefully what we've said in this show can give you some help towards that. If you have questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page of freeandclearshow.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear. Free and clear.